0: Well, let me add my welcome if you're a guest with us today. My name's John, I'm I'm one of the pastors here and it's great to be worshiping with you. Uh, we're starting our summer series today and I'm, I'm kind of excited about that. It's a series that I've wanted to do for a long time and it's uh, called Knowing God by Name and it's a series that will take us through the biblical, not all of them, but some of the biblical names uh, for God. And I... Uh, I'm I'm eager to do that because there's a lot packed into those names. If you're uh, maybe new to the kind of reformed tradition, this little branch of of Christianity, one of our kind of go-to theologians is this guy named John Calvin, one of the reformers, and he wrote something called The Institutes of the Christian Religion, and uh, nowadays we read it, and it seems like pretty thick theology, but back in his day, he wrote it actually as a kind of extended devotional uh, book. It's something like 1,200 pages, right? And he intended it to be read a little bit each day. So there are these little sections that you actually can read devotionally if you chip away at it for, for a year or so. Uh, but he, he leads this whole kind of comprehensive overview of Christianity uh, with this sentence. This is the first sentence of the whole thing. Our wisdom, in so far as it ought to be deemed true and solid wisdom, consists almost entirely of two parts, the knowledge of God and of ourselves. And he goes on to emphasize that with no knowledge of self there can be no knowledge of God. That's actually the first section. And then the second section with no knowledge of God there can be no knowledge of self. And I I just love that because I think he's so uh, wisely put together the basic foundation of discipleship. Discipleship isn't just about knowing God. It's about knowing ourselves. And in fact, if we have some kind of big emotional barriers, stuff that's holding us down in ourselves, those aren't just kind of small problems. Those are massive spiritual things that actually could cause us uh, to not know God as well as we might, right? With, without knowledge of self, there can be no knowledge of God. And also with no knowledge of God, there can be no deeper knowledge of self. The two go, go hand in hand. So this, this series is primarily about Knowing God, knowledge of God, with, with the, uh, the understanding that much of our church experience in the church in North America has trained us to know about God rather than to seek to know God. And there's a huge difference between those two things. You see, knowing about God is religion. Knowing God is life. Life. And Jesus said it, look at this. Now this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God in Jesus Christ whom you've sent. And Jesus said it, knowing God is eternal life. That's stunning, isn't it? That eternal life is knowing God. So the the very quick follow-up question that we have is, well, how, how do we know God? And I'm throwing all this good reform stuff at you. Uh, Today, the Belgic Confession, Article 2, the means by which we know God. Would you read it with me? We know God by two means. First, by the creation, preservation, and government of the universe, since that universe is before our eyes like a beautiful book in which all creatures, great and small, are as letters to make us ponder the invisible things of God. God's eternal power and divinity, as the Apostle Paul says in Romans 1.20, all these things are enough to convict humans and to leave them without excuse. Second, God makes himself known to us more clearly by his holy and divine word, as much as we need in this life for God's glory and for our salvation. It's called general revelation and specific revelation. You know, first, by what has been made. Go outside and look up, look around. Whoa! We can know a lot about God through that. Second, God makes himself known through his holy and divine word. It's not referring to this. It's the capital W word, Jesus. God's best word to us, God's clearest revelation of himself to us. And of course, Scripture witnesses to all that God has revealed to us and ways he's made himself known. And and God makes himself known to us through Scripture and a variety of names that that are used that reveal some different aspect of God's character. And understanding what they reveal about God helps us to know God, not just to know about God. God. Plus the series Knowing God by Name, right? And, and it's, it, it, it's an important thing because if you think about um, why Jesus came and what he did on the cross, he did not come merely to kind of broker this transaction. You know, his, his spirit wasn't, hey, I'm going to go to earth, uh, pay for everybody's sin, and zip right back to heaven. I mean, Jesus did make atonement. That is what he accomplished, but he didn't come to do that alone. He came to do that and to make it known. Not to keep it uh, uh, you know, uh, under under wraps, but to make it known that God is the kind of God who not only thinks about making atonement for people, but has done it. Not because he had to, because he wanted to. The spirit wasn't just transactional, it was relational. You know, the transaction happened so the relationship could be restored. So the knowing of God might be real in our lives. And Jesus said it again. I have made you, God, known to them and will continue to make you known in order that the love you have for me may be in them and that I myself may be in them. Jesus made God known to us and Jesus continues to make God known to us by the Holy Spirit. And there, there's a tremendous purpose in this. That the love of God that the love that God the Father has for God the Son might be in us through God the Spirit. Wow, right? And again, this is all real stuff. This is what we think is really going on in the world right now. So knowing God is a big deal. And that's that's what this series uh, is really about, that we can know God through the names used for him in scripture. So that's the series. I won't repeat that again. That's kind of the introduction to the whole thing. So let's look at the very first name used by scripture for God. It comes in the first verses of the Bible. Listen to them now, Genesis 1 and 2. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep and the spirit of God was hovering over the waters friends indeed this is the word of the lord thanks be to god you've uh, you've probably heard it said that you, n- you never get a second chance to make a first impression i um i feel like i was kind of a slow learner and like I, there wasn't a lot that connected for me in, in terms of sayings like that really until i was kind of in college i started to experience the realities of those and i i remember the moment that kind of the depth of that saying really dawned on me. Uh, I was a business major at Miami of Ohio. I had in my first semester signed up for 18 credit hours of pretty challenging classes. Gladly we had a family friend who was a psychology professor at the university, close family friend, kind of an adopted aunt to me. So I went to see, to see her and to ask about my first semester schedule. The very first thing she said was, "Uh, uh, John, John, that's that's way too much. What classes are you taking? She looked at my schedule and she said, none of those are layup, those are all really hard classes. You've got 18 hours of really hard classes. You should drop one, go from 18 to 15. Because it's a lot easier to keep up a grade point average than to bring up a grade point average. So as grade point averages go, so do impressions, right? I mean the importance of a first impression is that after the initial encounter, the first impression is the only impression until you have more interactions, right? And and it it builds. Uh, Sometimes I have trouble remembering embarrassing moments in life which is probably God's grace to me (laughs) because there have been many I thought of one terribly embarrassing as we were preparing this as I was preparing this message I lived in Des Moines before this this was before Crystal and I were married and I I bought my first house it was on a cul-de-sac and had absolutely delightful neighbors and the couple across the street from me when I moved in had just had a baby not long ago so I I didn't see much of them they were kind of in the house and After a couple months, then they were kind of out and about a little bit more and I I finally kind of met them and their their newer daughter. And I said, oh, what's her name? And they told me her name and what came out of my mouth next was, oh, that's very medieval. (laughs) And it came out of my mouth and I said, I thought, oh my goodness. What just came out of my mouth? And it was kind of a medieval sounding name, but you don't say that. And I I just had that experience of, oh my goodness, that was the first impression. That's the, you've had this, right? Then you feel like you're digging yourself out of a hole like forever for the name, trying to pour in and make positive interactions so that people understand you're not really as weird as you might be. Uh gladly, God doesn't make mistakes in first impressions. And the first impression he gives us is this. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And we, we, we have the English word God, um, and, and this is a little unfortunate. Sometimes a variety of words in the Bible are translated as just God or Lord, and there's, there's some ways to distinguish that, but there's a whole host of words for God. The, the Hebrew word here is Elohim. And Elohim means literally strong one, or in this context, strong creator. And it's, uh, it's used, this word, it's the only word used for God from Genesis 1 to Genesis 2, verse 4. And in that period of time, it's used 35 times. This, this is who God is, the strong creator, the one who made everything. And, and there's, there's a point to this. There, there are other names of God that kind of help us understand Uh, what God is like, maybe character qualities or the role that God plays in the lives of human beings, provider, protector, shepherd, things like this. This this name has none of that in it. This name is all about the power. Uh, this, This name is about creative and governing power of the universe, omnipotence, all power and the sovereignty associated with that. The, the source of all power. Now, not, not like God is energy force here, but if the names of God were likened to the parts of a nuclear power plant, Elohim are the uranium rods in the reactor. Sheer power. And not depersonalized now. A person with all power. Unquestionable. God is Elohim. Elohim strong creator. And, and you can unpack this as to what the name actually actually reveals. So let, let, let's do that. Elohim is not bound by time. In the beginning, God. Before anything else was, God was forever. God is not bound by the constraints of time like we are. God is present to all time right now. Says one writer, everything for God is right now because he has no past and he has no future. He is the right now, ever-present God. I mean, this this name of God helps us understand that God is not bound by time like we are. And this is important to our lives, and I'll unpack that a little bit later. Elohim is not bound by space and matter. In the beginning, God, God was before anything, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. God made everything that is. To create like that, one must be outside it and beyond it. As human beings, the only thing we experience uh, is is the created order, stuff we can feel and touch and and smell. I mean, the the sensual things. Those are the things that we we experience every day. God made all of that. Therefore, God is, is not either here or there in the created order. God is here, there, and everywhere with regard to creation, just like time, ever-present. Look at Jeremiah 23. Am I only a God nearby, declares the Lord, and not a God far away? Who can hide in secret places so that I cannot see them, declares the Lord? Do not I Fill heaven and earth, declares the Lord. And this, this name of God helps us know that God is present everywhere. There is nowhere God is absent. Uh, Elohim created the heavens and the earth out of nothing. This again emphasizes the great power of God, his complete authority over creation. In the beginning, God created something out of nothing. In the, the Latin phrase, ex nihilo, some of you might be familiar with this business book that kind of made the rounds several years ago. It was about uh, startup com- companies, entrepreneurs, and the title was Zero to One. It was about going from nothing to something. And, and the, the book would have had it be that, that entrepreneurs are like they're cr- you know, creating something out of nothing, but of course they aren't. No human being creates, creates out of nothing, we need, we need raw materials. We bear God's image in being creative a bit like God, but we start with something. And we, we create, we design, we build, we decorate, we sculpt, we style. But we start with something, not nothing. You know, the, the most extreme versions of evolutionary theory uh, that really seek to remove any sense of God uh, from the theory, it's, it's really less about really the evolutionary selective adaptation that we can see really, clearly see uh, happening in the world and, and it's, it's much more about kind of getting God out of the equation. Th- those extreme theories go like this. Nobody plus nothing equals everything. And, and it literally doesn't add up. Right? The, the, the Christian understanding of how things came to be is you just replace nobody with God. God plus nothing equals everything. Ex nihilo, out of Nothing. God created. And this is the first way that God uh, introduces himself. Strong creator. Says uh, a pastor I really enjoy, Tony Evans. Watches have watchmakers. Paintings have painters. Designs have designers. And creation has a creator. this, This name of God helps us know that God can make something out of nothing. Elohim brought order out of chaos. It says verse 2, now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep and the spirit of God was hovering over the waters. That, that phrase in, in Hebrew, formless and void, means uh, that the creation was uninhabitable. It didn't have shape and form yet. It was void of life. It, it was chaotic. And then God began began to bring order, he spoke to it. Let there be light. Let there be a vault between the the waters. Let the water under the sky be gathered into one place. And God began to order his creation, bringing structure and order out out of chaos. Not only does God create and sustain life, God creates and maintains all of the conditions necessary for a life that can flourish in Christ. God God orders and arranges and oversees. This name of God helps us know that God can bring order out of chaos. And Elohim is a person, not just a force or idea. Listen to the creation account again. God said, let there be light, and there was light. God saw that the light was good. God separated light from darkness. God called the light, Day and the darkness he called night. God said and saw and separated and called. These are things a person does, not an impersonal force. The universe is personal because God is personal. Life is personal because God is personal. Again, God is not just a religious idea. God is a person. And, and, and finally, this, this name for God, Elohim, is is fascinating grammatically because it's plural. Now hang with me here. This isn't just a technicality. The Hebrew language often translates a noun to the plural to give emphasis, but then all of the verbs with it are plural to correspond to the noun, except in this case. The only exception as I know it. Elohim literally would mean the strong ones, the strong creators. Here's an example, Genesis 1, 26 and 27, where both plural verbs and singular verbs are used. Again, hang with me. The God Elohim, then God Elohim said, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness. Verbs are plural in there too. So God Elohim created single verb there, mankind in his own image, in the image of God, he created them, male and female, he created them. One name for God that uses both plural verbs and singular verbs. But as you read through the whole Bible, whenever this name comes up, it's almost always a singular verb. The takeaway, God is a plural being who exists as one God. Sound familiar? That's right, the fourth word in the Bible begins teaching us that God is Trinity. Now you would never know it from this word. All you can take away is that God is plural and one. But as is so often true in scripture, there's a progressive uh, revelation here. And the trajectory of that revelation finds its climax in the great commission that Jesus gave us. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name, name of God, name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And it would take more time, but we could unpack how all three persons of the Trinity were were present at creation. God the Father clearly, the the preexistent one who has forever been and forever will be creator and Colossians unpacks the fact that Jesus had agency in that, in that creation and clearly in verse 2 in Genesis the spirit of God is present hovering over the waters. Elohim is Trinity and that this name of God helps us know that God is both three and one, three divine persons and one essence or nature so that this is all interesting and, and might make a fascinating book report But what does it mean for you and me now, tomorrow on Monday, for what we're grappling with right now? Do you now or have you ever felt like God is a million miles away, unresponsive to your prayers, seemingly AWOL, right, absent without leave? Where are you, cry the psalmists? Or are you hiding something? Entertaining the thought that maybe you're actually hiding it from God too? Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, Even there, your hand will guide me. Your hand will hold me fast. If I say, surely the darkness will hide me and the light become night around me, even the darkness will not be dark to you. The night will shine like the day for darkness is as light to you. God God is with us always, whether it feels that way or not. And I think the Bible and the fact that a third of the Psalms are Psalms of lament, I think the Bible acknowledges that a lot of times it doesn't feel like God is with us. And there's, there's no hiding. If, if the inner dialogue is somehow suggesting that you really, you really can hide, don't, don't buy that. Right, whenever that line comes up Choose to experience it as an invitation to repent, meaning to change your thinking, uh, to turn toward God. Whatever that means for that specific issue that you're grappling with, maybe it means kind of reaching out and getting the help that you need, maybe it means I just need to stop doing something I know is wrong, maybe, you know, it could mean a variety of things, but, but there's, there's no hiding, really. And do you feel like you're at the end of your rope, out of options, you've tried every last thing, there are no resources left? God makes beautiful things out of nothing. He does not need you to supply the raw materials. You do not need to bring the supplies. God loves you and wants you and is fully able to make you whole and supply whatever is needed, even if it doesn't feel like it and you find it difficult to believe. This is what we believe. Does your life feel like complete chaos right now? Is it way too much? You know, complete overload, too much, too fast. Can't see the light at the end of the tunnel. God brings order out of chaos, God clarifies and creates in such a way to enable life to flourish. Our Elohim brings order out of chaos. Are, are you lonely, feeling alone even though you're around people quite a bit? Our God Elohim is present all the time. And again, not just a religious idea, a person ever present all the time. You know, whatever, whatever situation we might be facing, whatever challenge, whatever seemingly insurmountable barrier, remember the first name of God, Elohim. Now to link this to the order of our service, uh, today Craig led us in what traditionally is known as the votum. It's this thing where we say, people of Jesus Christ, in whom are you trusting? And your response is, Our help is in the name of the Lord, maker of heaven and earth. Psalm 121, right? From where does my help come? My help comes from the Lord, Elohim, maker of heaven and earth, the strong creator, the one who is all-powerful. The one who is present with me always. The one who created all of life, the entire world, the whole universe, out of nothing. He's our helper. Every time we say that in the service, our help is in the name of the Lord, maker of heaven and earth, we're confessing that God is bigger than our biggest problem That God is more powerful than our most powerful enemy. That God delights in making beautiful things out of nothing and that God is with us everywhere all the time. Whenever we say that in the service, that's what we're confessing. God is Elohim, the strong creator who is three in one in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Let's pray. Jesus, help us know you. God, help us not just know about you, but know you. Uh, like, Like our closest friend, how we know people whom we love deeply. Help us know you, Lord, by name.